Hello and welcome to the Bible with Me podcast from Precept UK. We are a Christian charity based in Salisbury that equips people to know God deeply so they can live differently, using a wide range of Bible study resources for all ages and levels of understanding. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the ministry, and we would love to encourage you to seek the truth of God's Word for yourself using one of our inductive study books, available at precept.org.uk. Now without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode of the Bible with Me podcast. Well, um, everybody, I am delighted to welcome John McKenzie to the podcast today. Uh, John grew up in Essex and on leaving school undertook no less than 13 trips from aged 18 to 21 to Serbia and Bosnia uh, not long after the war there, taking humanitarian aid to refugees. Uh, Since that time, he has been an RAF regiment reservist, a one-on-one carer, for a boy with autism, and he did that for four years. He's been a youth leader, a student at the Highland Theological College, where he obtained a first-class degree. He also has a PhD from Aberdeen University. John's married to Amanda. They have two children, Lara and Lewis. Uh, John loves anything to do with the outdoors. Uh, for those listening from Scotland, um, you will understand what I'm saying here. He's completed all of the Munros, which I understand are the highest 284 Scottish mountains over 3,000 foot and he did that back in 2019. Uh, He also loves fishing, shooting, metal detecting and magnet fishing. I don't know whether that's legal or not. Anyway, he does not so much like gardening because he's very tall, uh, a bit like me. Uh, John loves the Lord and making disciples, uh, something that he's well placed to do as the pastor of Forrest Baptist Church in the Highlands in Scotland, which is his current calling. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, So, John, um, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? And why do you follow him as a disciple? Well, the how is quite difficult to say, because I can't really say when I became a Christian, but I know when I publicly professed faith. Uh, as a Christian. Um, There wasn't a time when I can remember not believing in the Lord, but I do specifically remember when I was 11, and um, I can still picture it very clearly, um, sitting in the hall in our church Sunday school, and the teacher going through that this is what a Christian is, this is what a Christian believes, and it's suddenly dawning on me, oh, that's me. I believe these things. I must be a Christian. And it was then that I actually went home and told my parents, I I think I'm a Christian. Uh, And that was when I was 11 years old. Um, So that's that's the the, the how, if you like. If I was going to put a date on my conversion, it would be when I was uh, 11 years old. Um, The why, why do I follow him as a disciple? Well, because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, because he died for me, because he loves me, because he's preparing a place for me, because he's given me his spirit, because he's coming back for me, because he's my righteousness, because his grace is sufficient for me, because he called me, and because I love what I see in him. This is someone I want to follow because I can look at his life and say, yeah, that's, that's how to live life well. So that's that's why I follow him. That's a beautiful, beautiful answer. And I get the impression that that's a that's a totally giving God. It's a totally giving Jesus 
isn't it? What you're describing there. He's done this for me. He's done this for me. He's, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Everything he's done has been of, of grace and is a gift. And I'm, I'm literally just an eternal recipient of, of blessing and benefit. Yeah. yeah. That, that is wonderful. Now, what are your childhood memories, uh, family, uh, growing up and, and maybe schooling? Um, well, um, my parents, I grew up with my parents, and mum and dad and my older brother. Uh, we had a large extended family. Uh, my dad had a large family uh, in the Highlands. My mum had a large uh, family in Essex and she was adopted and then we found a biological family and that also happened to be large. We had three really large uh, families. Um, we were relatively financially poor, but in other ways we were very rich. Um, just having an intact family these days, um, I think, is a real blessing, um, perhaps highlighted by uh, a friend of mine in Inverness who, when he was at school, was the only person in his class whose parents were divorced. Uh, when his son went to school, he was the only person in his class whose parents were married. So one generation. Uh, and, you know, the, the, just having an intact family is just uh, such a blessing. And then having an extended family as well. Um, lots of cousins, uncles, aunties, um, grandparents um three sets of grandparents which was which was nice um so yeah uh, family life was was fairly normal um but i say relatively poor but 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 financially but but very rich in uh, in other ways and um still very close um to family today even though some of my cousins are in australia and uh spread out uh, around the world Brilliant. And what about your schooling? I mean, um, did you did, were you did you excel, or were you top of the class, bottom of the class? What, what were your sort of strengths or struggles at school? I, I hated school. Um, no, I, no, that's not quite true. I loved junior school. Really, really hated school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, infant and junior school, I really loved up to the age of eleven. Senior school, um, I, I hated. Um, I can't really put a finger on it. I just, I just didn't like it, and. Um, it wasn't a particularly great school. It wasn't in a particularly great area. Um, none of us, I would say, were particularly pushed very hard. to. So, so I mean, I, I got good enough grades and I muddled through. But, you know, the, the day I left school, um, I waved goodbye to people at the gates and I never saw any of them again. You know, it was, it was, I was just glad to, to get out and leave um, yeah. school. Um, I did find um, college for my A-levels was a wee bit better. Um, possibly because it was in mixed classes with uh, people of different ages, and I just found that more more interesting. And I was actually doing some subjects which are which I liked doing, as opposed to uh, maths and you know drama <laughs> and things like that, which you are forced to do at, uh, at school. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad those days are behind me. I'm not oh, now, now on leaving school, you found yourself connected to Oak Hall Expeditions, and this led to 13 trips to Serbia and Bosnia after the war there in the early 1990s. Tell us about your visits there. And what did this teach you about the human condition? Yeah, I went to Serbia a few times with Oko Expeditions as a customer. Uh, and then I went to help at Oko for three weeks and ended up staying there for two years, um, living in uh, Oko uh, Otford Manor, which, which Oko's run from. 
and um, yeah, helped out and continue to do the trips, sometimes helping to organize them, um, often packing the humanitarian aid in Kent, which was taken over in a 40 ton Arctic truck. And um, yeah, and I actually met my wife there at Oak Hall. So there's quite a lot to be thankful for for those uh, two years. But I found the people out in um, Serbia, uh, very lovely people, very hospitable. Um, these were refugees that we were mainly working with. Um, I usually very old, elderly people or very young children uh, and families. And I remember they shared their one meal a day with us once when we went, which was a a very watery, thin sort of cabbage soup, which um, was probably the worst soup I've ever tasted. But just because they offered it to us, it felt really bad to say, no, thanks. I, I don't want your, your cabbage soup. So, so I ate a bowl of it. But, um, yeah, the, the, very, the very fact that they were willing to share their day's meal uh, with us is, a, is an abiding memory. And we work with... All, all um, nationalities out there, Serbs, Croats, Bosnians, um, and a lot of people that, that lived in the former Yugoslavia who were from Slovakia and, you know, other places as well, seeking to, to strengthen the church out there and to grow the church and um, to help with a Bible school that was set up in a place called Bački Petrovac, which is uh, a place which holds a lot of very good memories for me and it was in fact the first time that I preached was out in a church uh, in Serbia um, translated obviously from English into Serbian um, so that was a very interesting uh, experience it wasn't a very long sermon thankfully um, but we used to share the word of God with the refugees before giving them uh, food and uh, um, uh, humanitarian aid um, clothes <laughs> there was there was one uh, one time when we got a lot of seconds, um, uh, so clothes which are perfectly good, but they may have a bit of stitching that's wrong, or the label might be wrong. But the, but the clothes were all from um, Adidas, the company Adidas. So it was quite interesting dropping these clothes off one time, and then the next time we went back a few months later, this this whole town was full of people in their 80s and 90s, all wearing Adidas tracksuits and, you know, just, just a blur of sportswear and stripes everywhere. It was, it was, it was great to see, but, you know, th these people were grateful um, because they literally had nothing. There, they, there were some people who were out in the fields working in the tractors. They looked behind them. Their village was on fire and they just carried on in their tractor until it ran out of petrol and then they walked. And, you know, they had what they were wearing and what they had in their pockets at the time. So it was, yeah, an eye-opening experience, really, um, because we talk about poverty in, in this country, um, but real poverty uh, does exist in places where people have absolutely nothing, yeah. uh, and there's no welfare state, and they're dependent on... Um, yeah, the, the charity of others, I suppose, and, and uh, the, the kindness of others to provide for them, uh, which was a very humbling experience, especially being only sort of 18, 19, 20. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was out there at that time myself, actually, for a few months um, flying with the British Army 
um, yeah. just after um, the uh, just after NATO had taken over from the UN, actually, and it was awful. Absol you know, yeah. you fly over in your helicopter over a village, and two thirds of it would be destroyed, and one third of it would be intact because of the ethnic cleansing that was going on. Absolutely yeah. terrible. Yeah. Now, um, at the end of your time with Oak Hall, you went to the Highland Theological College from where you obtained a first-class BA Honours degree. Uh, you also got married to Amanda around this time. And you then joined the RAF Reserves. Now, being an army guy, um, you know, the RAF were always the enemy, but I'll let you off. Um, <laughs> so what, what was being in the RAF Reserves like? Uh, and were you ever tempted to make this your career? Um. Being in the RAF was great because we could always look down our noses at people in the army. <laughs> <laughs> and when the army can't succeed, they call in the RAF. To... <laughs> no, being in the RAF reserves, uh, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. You know, um, I, I did kind of know I'd always end up in ministry at some point, even from a very young age. But, but my, but my aim was first of all to always join the armed forces. Um, I wasn't actually fussy whether it was the RAF or the Army or the Navy. Um, I loved and I still love uh, all things uh, military. So when I first went for my degree at Highland Theological College, it was with the aim of getting my degree so I could go for my commission uh, in the armed forces. Um, so just after I finished my degree, I joined 2622 Highland Squadron. Uh, which is RAF regiment, um, to, just to test the water and, and see what it was like, see if it's something I wanted to do and go full time. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, uh, just yeah, getting muddy, using using uh, weapons, rifles, shooting the whole the whole lot. Just absolutely loved everything about it. So I decided to go full time, um, and that that was a quite a long process. Um, you know, you have to go down to RF Cranwell, the Officer Selection Centre, and you've got sort of five-hour aptitude test and uh, uh, physical training test and all of that. Well, I, I, I passed all of them um, with flying colours. Um, and then it came to the, to the medical. And, uh, yeah, it turns out that my hearing is one level lower than perfect which barred me from going into the RAF regiment full-time as an officer, even though when I began as a reservist, my hearing was perfectly fine, and it was being in the regiment as a reservist, using rifles and shooting, that damaged my uh, hearing. So there was a bit of irony in that, but at the same time, having taken the hearing test twice, um, it, and, and praying about whether this was what God wanted me to do, because at the time my, my daughter had just been born. So I would have been away for um, a good 14 months for initial training. And then um, this was during the time when we were heavily involved in Afghanistan and Iraq. So I would have been away um, quite a lot. Uh, so when, when I failed the hearing test, it, it was uh, a bit like Old Testament prophetic drama. And God was saying you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. And, and it was nothing I could do about my ears. <laughs> um, so uh, there was kind of a peace about that. Uh, so I'm really glad I went for it because if not, I would have always been thinking, I would have always thought, should I have done this? Should I have gone for this? Uh, well, I went for it and God said, no, um, this, is, this is not what I want you to do. So uh, that's when I decided to do my 
doctorate uh, in theology with the aim of going into academic work potentially as a, a lecturer or something like that. But um, yeah, very much loved being in the, the regiment, even though it was for a short time and still love shooting today. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. No, uh, there's so much to be said for the military, I have to say. Now, on leaving the RF reserves, you undertook a part-time PhD at Aberdeen University alongside being a one-to-one carer for a young um, boy called Ben from aged uh, 14 to 18. Um, tell us about this time in your life and what if anything God was teaching you yeah this was was a busy time in uh say my life in in our life my my wife and I we both we we both wanted to make sure when we had kids we weren't giving them over to other people to bring up we wanted to bring them up ourselves so my wife went down to work in part-time and I was working part-time so that when she was working I could look after the kids and vice versa um doing my PhD part-time meant I had to put in 20 hours of study a week. Um, so I did 10 hours on a Monday and 10 hours study on a Tuesday. And then my wife worked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, which I looked after the kids. And then I worked with Ben uh, as his carer on Friday nights and Saturdays and occasionally the odd Sunday. And sort of repeated that pattern for about five years. Um, but it was in, it was important and it was good. It was good to spend a lot of time with the kids when they were young. Um, and we've always made it a priority to make time for family. Um, even now in ministry, I always make sure I take Saturday as my day off and I don't do any work on Saturday because that's when Amanda and the kids uh, are off. But I have to say, working with someone with autism, which is what uh, Ben had, um, is possibly the best training for ministry that anyone could uh, ever give you. Because um, if you know anyone uh, who's autistic, you know, that they can be quite unpredictable, um, can be quite embarrassing uh, in public, because he'll just say whatever it is he's thinking, um, whether it's really positive or, or really negative. Um, there's sort of times of unbridled joy. Um, and, you know, the importance of long-term changes and small steps. Um, the, the Ben that I knew at 14 was, um, he was very different at 18 and a half when I stopped working with him. Um, but n- nothing happened dramatically. They were all uh, long-term, small changes that, that, that helped him. Um, and like I say, actually helped me um, because the, the unpredictability and the changeableness of, of working with someone uh, like Ben was great training for ministry. You could have your whole day planned and what you were going to do and you turn up to his house and you, no, he wasn't going to do that. He wanted to do something completely different. And, you know, your plan to spend eight hours on the hill with him uh, turned into um, going shopping in a city somewhere or, you know, vice versa. You just you just had to work with what you got on the day, um, which I think is good training for the ministry because you never know from day to day what it is you're going to face and who's going to turn up at your door, who's going to pick the phone up. Um, so just that that willingness to be prepared to deal with whatever it is that God puts in front of you, um, I, I, f- I found very helpful for ministry. Yeah. Did you learn anything about God in that um, working with Him at all? Would you say, or 
It's hard to say. I'm sure I did. Um, I think I learned a lot about myself in terms of um, patience and um, the need to be more flexible um, and things like that. Um, I'd have to give it a lot more thought, actually. No, that's fine. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, You had been a youth leader and also uh, the pastoral assistant at Clodden Baptist. You've been connected with Clodden Baptist Church in Inverness for a long time. Um, and then after gaining a postdoctrinal um, diploma in theological studies, you became the pastor of Forrest Baptist Church in 2013. Um, was this something that you'd always felt called to be and to do? Um, yes, I had always felt called to the ministry uh, ever since a very young uh, age. Um, in fact, as far as I can remember, I, I've always known I would end up in ministry, but I didn't know if it was going to be after working in a sort of another career for 30 years and then going into ministry or whether it would be straight away. Um, and I put it off for a long time um, for a number of reasons. One, uh, a number of people said to me, if you can do anything else and do it um, rather than go into the ministry, because um, ministry can be hard and you need to make sure that this is definitely what God wants you to do. Um, but I had a really good example was set by the staff at the Highland Theological College, my lecturers uh, there. They were very uh, powerful preachers. They were very knowledgeable uh, men um, they were very godly and they set a real high standard <laughs> one which um, I didn't think I could probably uh, match um, when I was when I was young and so I put off going into the ministry and I put off preaching for an awful long time um, until the situation changed at Culloden Baptist Church when our uh, pastor Uh, Jim Torrent left which then um, meant that uh, a number of people in the church who are in the uh, eldership and diaconate had to step up and um, lead bible studies lead prayer meetings do some some preaching and so so on Um, and that's when uh, the church actually recognized that I had a gift for for teaching uh, and leading and then for preaching and it kind of developed over that and after two and a half years of that they then um, called me to be the pastoral assistant um, assisting no one um, as we were still vacant for another two and a half years Um, so I basically did half the work of a minister for two and a half years preached half the sermons led half the bible studies and did half the visiting. Um, yeah, and then uh, I was ordained at uh, Culloden Baptist Church, as it was then. It's now Culloden Baloch Baptist Church, I believe. Um, but I was ordained at uh, Culloden, and we'd spent from 2002 uh, up until moving to Forest in 2013 uh, at Culloden. Uh, and it was, a, it was a great church to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, you've been leading Forest now for the last sort of eight years, nine years, whatever. Yeah. Uh, what are the joys and the not so joyful things about leading a flock? <laughs> yeah, the joyful things. Let's go with that first. Always start on positive things. You know, <laughs> joyful. Um, seeing people grow uh, as disciples uh, and seeing people grow in grace. That, that's the best thing for me. Um, seeing people mature uh, in their walk with the Lord. I mean, there are many great things about leading the church, but 
you know, if that's not happening, if disciples aren't aren't maturing in their faith, then you know, there's something wrong. Um, so it's been great to see a number of people, um, both new Christians and uh, older Christians, actually uh, growing and connecting with God's word and having a, a, a passion for the Lord and, and growing in their prayer life. So that, that's, that's the biggest joy for me, seeing that happening uh, in the church. Um, I love preaching. Um, I love doing the study. I love writing the sermons. I love delivering them. Um, I think it's a real privilege to be able to preach uh, God's word um, and a responsibility uh, as well. But, uh, yeah, I find preaching a real blessing. And also, um, and this might sound a bit morbid, but, you know, ministering to the sick and the dying, because there is a solemn joy in some of the most important moments in people's lives, um, whether that's the person themselves who is dying or whether it's uh, ministering to families who have uh, lost or are losing uh, loved ones. There's, there's, there's not many um, more significant moments in people's life than, than death. And to be a part of the process of uh, prayer and blessing and hopefully comfort, uh, I, I find that to be a a real comfort and blessing uh, as well in the ministry. Um, so that's the joyful things. Um, the not so joyful, uh, you know. People. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if there, if there was no people, it'd be an easy job. Um, no, I, I, I would say, and I'm not just talking about forests here, but I'm talking about uh, churches that I've been in before and, and the church in general, um, is the lack of prayerfulness. Um I find prayer is a sign of passion for God. So when prayer is lacking in people, um, that sends alarm bells ringing to me. And I, and I know it's the same for a number of churches that, you know, uh, perhaps a fifth or, or a tenth of people come to the prayer meeting who come to the, to the morning service or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see... A, a vibrant prayer life in our churches. Um, I, I remember reading, you know, about Spurgeon's ministry and, and someone asking him, um, you know, how does he how does he get the, the, the power and the spirit to to preach? And he took him downstairs and he opened the door and he's in a room of over 400 people all praying for him for the service. And you think, well, if that happened more often, <laughs> maybe my preaching would be a bit more better and a bit more powerful, you know. But, yeah, I, 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 the, the frustration of not seeing or prayer, because I, I believe prayer works. I believe that there is a blessing in prayer that God responds to prayer. And, you know, if we if we don't ask, we don't receive. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that, that's, that's the not so joyful aspect. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, um, you are someone that loves the outdoors. Um, yeah. And you've walked these things called the Munros. So, so why, why do you love the outdoors? And what's, what is it with the Munros? What are the Munros for the people don't know? And, and what is it about them? Yeah, well, there are now actually only 282 Munros. A Munro is a mountain over 3,000 feet. 
Um, but there were 284 when I started. Two have recently been declassified. Um, but I climbed them when they were officially Monroe, so, so I count them. Um, yeah, so there's 284 of these uh, hills all over Scotland. And um, it was uh, it's called Monroe Bagging. So you try and go around and, and, and climb them all. Most of them are just... Um, uh, are just walks up big hills, but there are one or two, especially on the Isle of Skye, where you need a um, bit of rope work uh, and climbing gear. But I just love being outside because the, especially living in the highlands of Scotland, you know, the sheer majesty and the glory of creation here, whether you're on mountains, whether you're on uh, beaches, whether you're in the in the woods, um, the wildlife, the red deer, the, the pine martin, you know, all, all of these things, I, they're just, they're just such a great reflection of, of the creator. And um, wherever you go, there, there is an abundance of life, whether you're in the sea, whether you're in the river, whether you're on the hill, you know, you could sit down in the middle of nowhere and pull up a handful of turf and underneath you'll find a whole host of creepy crawlies and, and, and whatnot. Uh, and it's just a reflection of God, that God is life. And when he created, he created an abundance of life and life is everywhere. So, yeah, I love being outside. There's also a selfish reason, I suppose, and, and that is you can be uncontactable when you're outside. Um, <laughs> when you're on the top of a Monroe um, and you don't get a signal, um, it doesn't matter who calls you. Um, you can't do anything because you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's going to take you six hours to get back. Um, so, yeah, days off, um, head to the hills and you can guarantee your day off remains uh, a day off. Whatever the weather. Yeah, whatever the weather. Um, I, I, I must admit, I do prefer to go out when the weather's good. One of, one of the blessings of climbing a hill is, is the view. Um, and there's, there's not a lot of... Uh, point in apart from the fitness side to to climb a hill and spend four hours outside to to see no further than three foot in front of you which has happened on occasion but um but rarely very rarely you surprised me being scotland you surprised me <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 well yeah yeah it's uh it's it's changeable uh when we were climbing the the hills of noidart um, we took the ferry over from Malig and we got there at 10 in the morning. Um, we climbed um, one of the hills there uh, one day, slept out on the hill and climbed two the next day and got the ferry back at 10 the next morning. And within that 24-hour period, we had, we had sunshine, we had wind, we had hail, snow, rain and fog all within 24 hours, all within the same place. And, you know, you couldn't get more Scottish uh than that but yeah you you have to keep an eye on the weather but as well it's it's time spent with friends as well um you know i i've slept in laybys in cars at train stations on the summits of hills um some of the some of the hills are, are a good distance away from where we live so you don't want to spend four and a half hours in the car getting there and four and a half hours back um to only be climbing for a few hours so i often go and sleep over um, in between days uh, and I find it a great way of spending extended times in prayer uh, and praise especially when you're climbing uh, on your own um, probably some of the 
the best times of prayer and worship that I've had uh, is being with God in God's creation and up a mountain, which I believe has got some biblical basis to it. <laughs> A lot of things happened on mountains, transfigurations, uh, Ten Commandments, all, all of these things. Your middle name's not Moses, is it? <laughs> <laughs> now, now um, we, we all have struggles in life. Uh, and and uh, from what you shared with me before this chat, um, you have struggled with depression and anxiety over the years. Uh, how do you reconcile your understanding and theology of God with these struggles? And, and how have you coped with this? Yeah, I thought that was an interesting question. Um, see, I don't see that there is anything to reconcile, as I don't believe Scripture teaches, that, teaches us that we'll be free from all illness and sickness. Uh, not here, not on this earth anyway. On the contrary, like Paul, I think God often uses illnesses to teach us. And often, and I don't say this lightly, but often to bless us. Um, you know, Paul's famous thorn in the flesh. Um, that was God's will for Paul. And he needed him to learn that lesson, which has been the comfort of uh, untold number of believers, that my grace is sufficient for you. And, you know, my my depression is cyclical, so it, it, it comes and, and it goes usually at, um, every sort of seven or eight uh, years. I did find it extremely difficult the first time um, because I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was happening. Uh, it, it literally felt um, like I was going mad. <laughs> um, uh, but. Then uh, the second time was a wee bit easier. The third time, um, again, I, I say a wee bit easier. It's still a horrendous experience uh, to go through. But my, my depression is not related to an event. There isn't anything that, that happened that causes me to be depressed. Mine is purely biological. So there is a, there's an imbalance of chemicals. Um, and I think mental illness is as biological as, as physical illness. Uh, you know, I suffer from depression, other Christians suffer from asthma, others suffer from diabetes. The notion that sort of physical illness needs medicine and you need to go to a doctor, but mental illness is a spiritual problem that can be cured with prayer, uh, I think is harmful and, and dangerous because God created the body and the mind. Uh, he's sovereign over both and both are very much in, interconnected. Um, as for coping with it, um, I would say I've grown the most through those times of uh, depression in my walk with the Lord, my dependence upon God, uh, the applying of the promises of God in his word to my heart. Um, once I, um, I prayed at a funeral of a, uh, a friend um, who actually had taken his own life and um, he was a, a, a deacon uh, in, in one of the churches that I served and someone came up to me and they said you know where did you learn to pray and I could say in the furnace that's where I learned to pray um, when you have a real uh, difficulty to face and you're really called to put your dependence on on God 
and to lean on him and to lean on the promises of his word, um, regardless of what you're thinking or how you're feeling. Um, that's when you begin to grow, I think. Uh, well, certainly that's when I began to grow um, in a very significant way uh, as a Christian. So I think coping with it is a good term. You know, it's not pleasant. Would I choose it? No. Uh, do I want to experience it? No. Uh, does God use it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, especially in pastoral ministry, I think I've been able to minister to other people who have got mental health problems in a way that someone who has never experienced mental health issues can't um, minister to them because uh, it's a it's a very hard thing to describe. Um, and, uh, you know, people experience it in in, in different ways. Um, so there's a there's a there's a level of weakness uh, attached to it, um, which I think is actually quite healthy. Um, so yeah, it's 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 hard, but it's but it's a blessing. How would you? What would you say to someone that suffers from depression listening to this podcast? What might you say to them? It depends if they're a Christian or not. Okay. Um, to a Christian, um, in many ways, I would say the same to someone a believer who was a who had depression as, as someone as a believer who didn't have depression. Um, um, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. There, there are some universal truths that, that, that just apply to all believers. Um, I, I guess to someone who is going through depression, um, there are certain verses um, which talk about waiting on the Lord and um being strengthened uh, by him. Uh, and, yeah, just there, there are a number of passages, uh, especially uh, in the books of Peter, uh, which talk about do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as if something strange was happening to you. But, you know, entrust yourself into the hands of a, a faithful creator while doing good. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you have to... You have to suck it up. You have to. <laughs> um, you have to to, to to bear it. And and you know the refining process is not a pleasant process, um, but it is a worthwhile process. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not. I'm probably not explaining it as well as I could. Um, but no, I think that's always fair. applying God's word is 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 the answer and keeping people. Fixing their eyes on Christ yeah. is, is generally what I would say. Well, I think that's that's wonderful. I mean, <laughs> what I love about what your response was there—it's it's related to to God's promises and and the Word of God. And and of course, as a ministry, as you know, you know, precept is about equipping people, young and old, to to study the Word of God for themselves. Uh, you know, we all need good preachers. You're you're an excellent preacher. You love the Word of God. You love preaching. But I can listen to you, your one sermon once for however long you preach for, half an hour, 40 minutes. But then what about the rest of the week? And so what we're seeking to do is to encourage people to, di to do what you're doing to prepare for your sermons. But they can do it themselves, you know. And yeah. um, we've just found that encouraging people, equipping people with those simple skills of what we call inductive study, uh, observing the text carefully, 
interpreting it in its context, and then seeking to live it out, you know, applying it is so valuable in, in yeah. individual lives, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so, so why, why is the Bible, I mean, you've hinted at this already, but why, why is the Word of God so important to you? Well, there's the famous passage from 2 Timothy 3, you know, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And, yeah, I want to be complete. I want to be equipped. Um, God has given us everything we need to to live the Christian life well, um, and that includes his word. Um, and uh, yeah, I, we need it. Um, God's word, word reveals who God is. You know, with, without God's word, you know, what would we really know of God? Very little, really. Um, and I want to know God in as full a way as possible. Uh, and, you know, it reveals what God wants for us as his people, how his church should conduct itself what the church is, what the church should do, how it should operate. I mean, you know, you take away God's word and you're, and you're left with people making up whatever it is they want to do, basically. Uh, but it's more than just an instruction manual. It's a, it's a living word. It's how the Holy Spirit so often talks to people, convicting them, encouraging them, enlightening them, guiding them. Uh, and it's important to me because... I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus himself said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Um, uh, and, you know, there are there are certain things which identify who are truly following Jesus Christ as Lord. And, and one of those things is abiding in his word um, and loving his word and, and loving his people. Um, so, you know, to try and live the Christian life um, without an in-depth study of God's word is like trying to go through life without eating food. You know, it's just it's, you're not going to last very long. Um, it's absolutely vital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know that making disciples is really important to you. You mentioned that at the outset, really. And and for, you know, these disciples, followers of Jesus, to be filled with the fullness of what God has for them. How do, how do you go about doing this yourself? Yeah. Well, it's actually, um, it's actually part of our church vision statement um, to make disciples of Christ filled with the fullness of God. And it's taken from the Great Commission uh, in Matthew 28 and from Ephesians chapter 3. Because making disciples is important to me because it was important to Christ. He called people to follow him, to learn from him, to believe in him, to trust in him, to rest in him, abide in him. And there's no better way to live. It was what we were originally uh, created to do, to live in relationship with God. And to make disciples means to make new disciples as well as to mature existing disciples. No one graduate from the school of discipleship in our walk with the Lord but we can certainly grow uh, as disciples and this is where the fullness part comes in for me uh, just listen to these words from uh, Ephesians 3 Paul writes that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I, I don't want a dribble of God if I can be filled with the fullness of God. Do you? You know, uh, if, if that's what he's on offer, if that's what Paul says is available, then that, that's what I want. I want it for myself and I want it for God's people. And the only way um, to be filled with the fullness of God is to, is to live uh, in relationship with him, depending on his spirit, reading his word, spending time with him in prayer, worshipping, living in a community of, uh, of God's people. Um, we grow um, to the extent that we engage with God and, and, and live before him. Um, so it's, there's, no, there's no secret formula to this. There's no, like, um, you know, it's not rocket science. There's no hidden code, even though that may might make a good sounding book you know the bible code or something like that you know it's it's walking with the lord it's following christ it's trusting in him um so that we can know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge so that we can be filled with all the fullness of god um if you're aiming for that i think you're doing well yeah that is great that is that that really is great um yeah we don't want to be where we are today in our walk with the Lord, in the same place in a year's time, five years' time, ten years' time, do we? And, and Absolutely. You know, maybe, I don't know, you and your, your connections with church over the years, um, you know, probably grand, grand sweeping statement here, but, but there are folks, aren't there, who, 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 for whom that's nece- not necessarily the case. Um, you know, they, yes, they go to church, but actually how have they grown? How have they been able to appropriate God's word for themselves to to recognize God's work in and through them and stand firm when tough times come and for yeah. God to be able to use that as a blessing to others and so much more isn't it and and not just growing head knowledge because you can you can grow in your academic knowledge you know you can you can cite all the books of the bible in in order and um you know the name of all the kings and all the prophets and that's useful up to an extent but but you're looking for character change. You're looking for heart change, whether people are less angry, more wise, um, you know, uh, more willing to be generous. You know, you're looking for that kind of change um, where you can tell that the, the head knowledge has actually affected the heart and hasn't remained at the stage of head knowledge. You want transformation of character um, because that's what, God's plan is for us to conform us into the image of his son. Uh, so we should, we should become in more Christ-like uh, each and every day. Um, and, and hopefully that is the case. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever feel prompted as a pastor of a church to challenge some members of your congregation who you feel for whom that's not happening? Does that ever happen, or do you? You obviously you 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 pray that your preaching is connecting with people and, and moving them in that direction. But maybe there's some people that you've actually had to say, "Hey, you know what? How are you doing with your walk with the Lord?" Is is does that happen? Yeah, yeah it does. Um, I, I I'm a firm believer in um, 
pastoral visitation. Uh, I, I like to visit people and um, not just talk about their, their, you know, family and where they've been on holiday and stuff like that, but, you know, directly say, so where are you in your walk with the Lord? What are you struggling with? Um, how are you growing? Um, are you in a good place? And, and often... Uh, you, they, they share stories of, of where they are. Um, thankfully, you know, there are people who are honest and say, you know what, I'm not in a good place. Um, but I think that's that's refreshing. They're not trying to put on a mask. They're, they're, they're saying to you, yeah, look, I need help. Um, but, yeah, no, absolutely, we, we, need, um, we need to be challenged. Um, and people like yourself in positions of leadership and myself in ministry, we need to be challenged by others uh, and, and to say, you know, um, are we growing? Uh, have we got someone accountable to us? You know, are we, are we just functioning on um, procedure, basically, doing the same thing in and out, you know, producing a, a talk, a sermon? You know, you just become the sermonator, just, you know, <laughs> pulling out sermons, you know, every week and firing them off. Um, and, and we need people to check us and challenge us and, and say, you know, how's your walk with the Lord? Um, and, and I think that's really important. So, yeah, I think it's that we should definitely be um, challenging each other in love. Um, because um, otherwise we will just become settled in our in our routines uh, and, we, and we and we won't really grow uh, as much as we can. Yeah, that's 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 great. That is great. Now, what about a favourite Bible character or book of the Bible? Oh, yeah, man, you ask hard questions. Um, I, I would say my favourite book is John, uh, the book of the Gospel of John. Um, I just love his style. I love his account of Christ, the, the themes that he covers, the emphasis on uh, Christ's divinity, um, uh, the eyewitness sort of a, account the, that he shares the reason for writing. He wants people to believe. He wants people to trust. Um, uh, yeah, I love the book of John. And, you know, John 17 was the, the chapter that we had at our wedding uh, as well um, for for the reason of those verses which talk about um, Christ dwelling in us and us in Christ and in the Father, sort of that that union. So that our wedding day was not just a union of, of husband and wife, but husband, wife and God uh, all together. So, yeah, John's my favourite book, but um, only by a pinch. There's, there's a lot of others out there that, that are pretty good as well. I am sure. I'm, what about a verse? Yeah, uh, all-time favourite verse, Exodus 14, 14. Uh, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to remain silent. Uh, this is one of the verses um, that helps you in ministry when you get personally attacked by people inside or outside of the church, but also from a, a mental health perspective as well, uh, when your mind is is going uh, at 100 miles an hour and saying all, all manner of things Um it's great to be reminded that the Lord will fight for you. You have only to remain silent. Um, you don't. Have, you don't have to answer back. You don't have to get into conversations with Satan. You don't have to get into conversations with those who oppose you. You can be quiet and say, "No, I'm going to leave this to the Lord, and He will fight for me." So that's my all-time favorite verse. Although, again, close second, two Corinthians five twenty-one. Uh, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I just think that's a 
beautiful summary of, of, of the gospel uh, and of justification and righteousness sort of all rolled into one. So, so they're my two verses. Oh, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Well, um, uh, we are coming into land, uh, John. Uh, just, I've just been struck, you know, from an early age, really, wasn't it? 11 years old. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems as though God really had his hand on you, actually, the way that he was guiding and directing. I mean, to go off to Serbia when you're 18, 19, 20 years old and do all those... I mean, that's, that's a mature thing to do for, for a young man, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, clearly, God putting a stop on you joining the Royal Air Force, which is, I think is a very good thing, I have to say. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the Army would have taken you with your, with your duff hearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They take anyone. Uh, but, but also, you, you have really taken your calling and your faith very seriously in terms of academic study. Um, but wanting to make that practical through your preaching as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like a firm, you've got a firm foundation, a firm rock there, which I think is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And you're not stuck. You're not stuck. Stuck sort of being a bookworm. You're out in the hills and you're enjoying the outdoors and you're a family man. And and I love what you said about um, you know, family is really important and it's a priority because we we know over the years of of people getting burnt out and, and they're, they're expending all their energy on others and they're, they're neglecting the ones that are most dear to them. Yeah. And that's a tragedy and God doesn't want that at all, does he? No, absolutely. I remember talking with um, Paul Helm, who's uh, uh, an accomplished academic. who's written a number of um, weighty Christian books and um, he was around for dinner once and he, and he said to me on the way home, he said, make sure you spend time with your family. If I've got one regret, I didn't spend as much time with my family when they were young as I should. Um, and he's not the only one that said that. So uh, I've purposely tried to put that into practice so that I'm not one of those who get to, to an older age and look back and, and say the same thing. Uh, yeah, important. Yeah. How can we be praying for you, John? And that, that God would give me the grace, the humility, the wisdom and the passion to serve him faithfully uh, and to serve his church here in Forest. That would be absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's a lovely prayer. OK, well, John, um, it's been a real privilege for me to talk to you on the Bible and Me podcast today. Uh, thank you for... Um, yeah, what you're doing to build a kingdom, really, um, and for leading a flock of people uh, to help them in their own journey of faith, uh, to walk more closely with the Lord Jesus, and for your love of the word as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we share that with you. Um, and, uh, yeah, we pray that there is a massive revival in our country of people's love for Amen. the word of God. And, um that people would turn back to him as he has revealed himself in, in the good book. So so really blessed to, to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.